0: Microbial Nation to another episode of the Microbe Moment. I'm Tess. And I'm John. And it's time for March Mead Madness. So of course we're drinking mead.
1: That's right. All month long, we are bringing you nothing but mead, homebrews, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, and the whole thing.
0: By the end, you're going to be wicked stoked to start brewing your own mead. Or at least have a new appreciation of how Saccharomyces cerevisiae has been impacting human history for centuries. And we do mean centuries. We will start off, as we start every month, with a wee bit of history. Take it away, John.
1: Some of you may be asking, what is mead? Well, it's a fermented drink made from honey, water, and yeast. And that's the basic mead. The yeast ferment the sugar, giving off alcohol as a byproduct. However, there are many types of mead, like there are types of beer.
0: Yeah, so obviously, mead has been around for a long time and has transcended time and cultures. As a result, we have a wonderful diversity of types of mead. Like wine, it can be sweet or dry. Like beer, it can be dark or light. Like spirits, it can include a number of other infused ingredients. So, wines are defined by the grape variety, beers are defined by the style. Do you know what we define different kinds of meads by?
1: The added ingredients, the alcohol content and sugar level.
0: Okay, so let's get into some more popular varieties we have. Each one has a slightly different name. And I am only going to highlight just a few of the kinds of meads that we have today. We have Malomels, or fruit meats. Fruits can include berries, peaches, pineapple, apricots, and others. We have we have one right now actually brewing that includes oranges. I believe it's caracara Cara oranges, right? That's right. And then there are acerglins. These are maple syrup meads. Obviously, that one's got to be one of the sweet meads. I'd love to try that one as well.
1: Yeah, I'd like to try to make that one.
0: There are ciders. These are made from apple juice. They're different from hard ciders, though, which rely on the apple juice to produce alcohol. In ciders, the honey is still the main feast for the yeast. And this is another one that we have brewing right now.
1: Yeah, it's in our secondary fermentation. And I can't wait to try it out in about a month and a half.
0: We have a Braggot or Brago. I guess perhaps if it's French. This is sometimes called a beer mead, a beer mead, because barley malt is added, giving it a beer-like flavor. There's also methylglins, which are flavored with simple spices and fruits. So is the one that we have technically a methylglin as opposed to a melomel?
1: I believe it is a methylglin since I added other spices with it too.
0: And then there is a boche. Which I pronounce like that because I feel like it's a French word, which is mead made with caramelized honey. So the honey is actually cooked before added to the water. People say this gives it a very deep flavor profile, like a toffee or chocolate or even a marshmallowy flavor. This is one I want to try next. Can we make this one next?
1: All right. But I hope it doesn't end like the grapefish baking show and it crystallizes while trying to make it. Oh, it could. That's where you get the caramel from.
0: Then you can classify meads based on the alcohol content. So we have hydromels, standard meads, and sac meads, which I just love that mead, that name, sac meads. Hydromels are low in alcohol content, like less than 8%, so like a light beer. The standard mead is more like a wine clocking in at 10 to 14% alcohol. And then you have your sack meads, which I was trying to come up with some sort of joke, like it was going to put you in the sack or something, but I didn't really find anything that worked well. But these are meads that have over 14% alcohol content.
1: So there's some strong stuff out there.
0: Indeed. So, John, can you tell us a little bit about the history of mead?
1: I sure can. The earliest evidence of this is found in the Neolithic village of Jahu in the Hanan province of China in 7,000 BCE. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's forever ago.
1: Yeah, 9,000 years ago.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And it's was found in pottery containing honey, rice, and fruit.
0: The mead was, or like they showed honey, rice, and fruit on the pottery itself.
1: Oh, I should clarify. Uh, they found it on the pottery itself because they, they did like a mass spectrometry and found that. Cool. Yeah. It's thought to be the oldest alcoholic drink, which makes sense due to its simplistic recipe.
0: What's the recipe?
1: It's uh water, honey, and yeast. That's pretty simple. Oh, time. The silent fourth ingredient is time. But honey has so much sugar in it and yeast can be found everywhere. So it's not a far stretch to see that this accidentally occurring in nature and humans stumbling upon it by mistake. And
0: mm-hmm. We'll I'll get to a little story on that later.
1: I can't wait to hear that. But this... Drink ended up popping up in many civilizations, Scandinavia, India, Egypt, Greece, the Roman Empire, and of course Europe, where it appeared around 2800 to 1800 BCE.
0: Did you see in your research whether or not each culture came up with it independently, or if it was sort of shared amongst cultures, like through the Silk Road or something?
1: I didn't see anything specifying that. I did see evidence of like, Maybe uh, types of meat being shared. So it may have started independently.
0: Yeah, it could definitely go either way, I think.
1: Yeah. And this drink really blew up when bees were domesticated because this gave a rise and increase in honey. For Egypt, this occurred around 2500 BCE. Beekeepers were highly esteemed members of society. Honey was used to sweeten everything. And we humans, we have a sweet tooth.
0: Yeah, we do. The
1: wax was superior candle as animal fat didn't last long and was not particularly good smelling. And obviously, it gave us alcohol. Mead preceded wine in Greece and was the preferred alcohol of Aristotle. Really? Yep.
0: Wow, you always hear about how those those Greeks and their wine.
1: Yeah. Well, Romans favored wine more, but they preferred... Oh,
0: maybe that's what I'm thinking of.
1: Yeah, but they preferred wine that was sweetened with honey, and that was called mulsum
0: moles so hmm, maybe i'll try that too they like just put like honey inside wine
1: yeah so i don't know if it was like when they bottled it or when they were about to serve it they added the honey to sweeten it up
0: mm, i'll have to try that although i'm sure there's some some winos out there just cringing right now
1: yeah <laughs> i don't know i think everything's worth a shot yeah might be disgusting might be amazing i
0: don't know it sounds pretty good to me like chocolate and wine hot chocolate and wine
1: yeah who would have thought that would have been a great combo?
0: But it sure is.
1: It was actually the Welsh and Irish that created Methiclans in the 1600s.
0: Yeah, Ireland. <laughs> it, and the Welsh.
1: Uh, it was a mead that is infused with spices and herbs, but they added herbs that are commonly used as medicine. So it was like a mead for me, uh, medicinal purposes.
0: I like think it's so interesting that alcohol started so medicinally. Like going back in history, a lot of medicine has its roots and alcohol.
1: They kind of used it as excuses, medicine, and prohibition, but are still labeled as that. <laughs> so mead was so loved, in fact, that the Welsh king Howell, the good, proclaimed laws regarding mead, including and in how to make it, uh, mead's place in society, and even appointed mead maker to the highest circle of officers. Ooh. They loved themselves some mead. And I have an old recipe. So... As quoted, take rainwater kept for several years.
0: Ew, several years? Where'd they keep it?
1: Probably in a pot.
0: How did... Okay, continue. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I want water from several years. It's been sitting in a pot. No. Especially in those days. I, I don't know what's grown in that.
1: Yeah, but it's rainwater, and that's probably the cleanest water you could get at that time, too.
0: Yeah, but if it's stored in a pot in someone's, what, basement or house for years... I don't know. I don't trust
1: it. Oh, well, somehow it worked. All right. Anyways, you take the rainwater and you mix a sextarius of this water with a Roman pound of honey. What's
0: a Roman pound? I don't
1: know. And I don't know what a sextarius is.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. That was the other thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. For a weaker mead, mix a sextarius of water with nine ounces of honey. The whole is exposed to the sun for 40 days and left on a shelf near the fire. If you have no rainwater, then boil spring water. So I'm guessing how they stored the rainwater kept it clean because at the end, they also say just boils some spring water. So
0: yeah. So this was the Roman recipe. Yes. From Roman days. Oh, cool.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Nice. So you want to talk about the history and origins of honeymoon, which also has ties to mead. Let's hear it. All right. Let's talk about the birds and the bees. Let's talk about honeymoons. Ah, honeymoons. Definitely a thing I'm looking forward to the most about getting married. But I am going to say a little trigger warning here. If you are planning a wedding, um, you probably want to skip this part because it doesn't like put honeymoons in a great. I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't frame honeymoons very well. But really? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Oh, boy. So this term actually comes from a long time ago. So there's actually a lot of different origins of this word. So I'll I'll tell you a few tales about the origins of honeymoon. None of them are great tales, I got to say. One comes from 1542 when Samuel Johnson wrote, The first month after marriage, when there is nothing but tenderness and pleasure, originally having no referent to the period of a month, but comparing mutually affection of newly married persons to the changing moon, which is no sooner full than it begins to wane. Which seems kind of depressing, actually. And I'm not really sure if in 1542 you could ever say there was much mutual affection since so many people were forced into marriage. But regardless...
1: It's a really romanticized ver uh version of it, I assume
0: of marriage in the sixteenth century, yeah, I think so, but at any rate, it's actually like super depressing because it's kind of saying like, okay, so you're gonna be married and the first month's gonna be great, and then you're basically gonna get an eternity of forever waiting love and it's just only gonna get worse from there
1: mm. yeah, that's
0: so cool, cool, cool great, but we can bring this. Term even farther back in history, from the 16th century to the 5th century. In this tradition, newlyweds would drink mead during their first moon of marriage. The mead was thought to be an aphrodisiac and help the women bear strong sons for the family. But I think we all know the length of the moon cycle probably has a little bit more to do with having a baby than drinking copious amounts of alcohol. Agreed. Mm -hmm. But wait, it gets even Darker. Susan Wagoner says she's a, a wedding historian, and she says the honeymoon dates from the days of marriage by capture, when after snatching his bride, the groom swept her away to a secret location, safe from discovery by her angry kin. And there he would keep her until the family would either give up the search of the bride. Or she would become pregnant, making all questions of return mute.
1: Uh, that's gross on so many levels.
0: Oh, my God. It's so bad. So even after people were like, hmm, maybe it's not a great idea to snatch and kidnap women um, and force them to bear your child. But the tradition's kind of fun, so we can still have that happen, but first we'll just do a little ceremony, and I just want to say, we're just like, okay, sometimes everything our ancestors do, we don't need to make into traditions, right? Right. Regardless, this is a tradition, so I transformed into the groom, paying the bride's father some money, having a little ceremony, and then abducting her. Cool, cool, cool.
1: (laughs) Oh, this is getting bleaker and bleaker.
0: Yeah, Uh, lucky for you. That's kind of the end of my story on Honeymans. Uh, But just to be clear, I think there are many traditions are shrouded in shadows and have been warped and twisted over the years. And origins can be hard to come by as these traditions continue to transform. I read many articles on the subject and they all had slightly different origin stories of the honeymoon. So I presented just a few of the stories here and uh, really I didn't find any that were any happier than that. So I'm glad honeymoons are kind of where they are today and not where they were centuries ago.
1: Yeah. It's all about going on vacation for your honeymoon. That's a tradition I can get behind.
0: Yeah, I kind of like the idea of drinking mead for a month, but, like, drinking mead for a month to have a baby, like, all right, maybe we need a little break from the wedding before we just start trying to conceive a child into this world.
1: Not diving headfirst.
0: Yeah, but that was then, this is now. You know, things change. So what else you got to tell me about mead, John?
1: Well, let's look a little bit on literature for mead it, mead was even a big part of literature uh mead halls were commonly mentioned in beowulf
0: oh yeah i remember that
1: yeah if you remember the movie
0: i had to read the book
1: well obviously the book's better but like the movie is a lot of scenes of it are in a mead hall in greek mythology it was known as nectar of the gods or ambrosia and Cronus was drunk On the honey of wild bees when Zeus castrated his father.
0: (laughs) I didn't hear (laughs) that story before.
1: I mean, Greek mythology is very brutal in many aspects. Yeah. Yeah. Even Celtic mythology had a river of mead flowing through paradise
0: does sound like paradise to me
1: yeah my favorite story is the story of when odin went and got the mead of poetry
0: what does that even mean
1: oh you'll find out
0: <laughs> you know do tell
1: all right so there was a man named kevasir i hope i'm pronouncing that right who was born from the spit of gods and was known as the white what Yeah, he's
0: was- like they literally like spit and like a human or not a human but Kind of like. Caviciers started roaming the earth. Yeah, they
1: spit in a container and he came forth from it.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that for him.
1: Yeah. And he was known as the wisest human ever lived. <laughs> there's there's not a question he could not answer. One day he was killed by two dwarves and they brewed mead with his blood. And this meat was able to dispense wisdom. Whoever drank it would become a poet or a scholar. Now these dwarves kept killing until the son of two giants by the name of Setung killed them and took the mead, hiding it in a chamber beneath a mountain. And he had his daughter watch over it.
0: Wow. Really? A daughter being being a guard? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And this is where Odin pops in.
0: Why does he care?
1: Oh, he wants knowledge. He's on a mission to gain all sorts of wisdom.
0: But I thought, like, this guy was born from his spit. Didn't he already have the wisdom?
1: Uh, He was always looking for more wisdom. Mm, okay. In fact, there's a story where he stabbed himself through the chest and hung himself for on a magical tree as a sacrifice to learn magic. He was even granted the ability to read magic runes after nine days of hanging there.
0: What the what?
1: But that's a different story. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, this is, <laughs> this is taking a weird turn. <laughs>
1: So Odin sought the uh, mead. He disguised himself.
0: That was made from his spit.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, if you go back far enough.
0: Okay, yeah. So Odin sought the spit made
1: mead. He disguised himself and went to the farm of Sotun's brother, who said he would help Odin get a sip of the mead if Odin had worked as hard as nine men. Odin had tricked all nine of his farm hands to kill each other so that he could get the job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a trickster.
1: Norse mythology is very bloody too.
0: Yeah, it seems even more uh, intense than the Greek and Roman mythology. Yeah. I want to go back to the Celtic uh, mythology where we just have that that river of mead that was that was easy.
1: Oh, I'm sure there is a lot of troubles uh, surrounding that too. <laughs> so Odin did the work and the giant helped make a hole in the side of the mountain that had the mead. Odin entered the mountain where the mead was, and the daughter was also there. And so he disguised himself as a handsome young man. The daughter was won over by him and claimed if he would sleep with her for three nights, he would have three sips of the mead.
0: Yeah, girl, get it.
1: Uh, Odin obliged, and after three nights happened, Odin drank all the mead, not three sips, he took all of it. He then turned into an eagle and peaced out, flying to Asgard. <laughs> Sotan found out, and he also took the form of an eagle and chased Odin, but to no avail. Odin got to Asgard, and then he promptly regurgitated the mead into containers.
0: Mm, so now we have vomit, blood, spit mead in containers in Asgard.
1: Yep. It is said that great poets and scholars of the world had Odin give them a drink of this mead. It was also said in the story that while he was regurgitating the Mead, two drops fell back to Earth. There, I think there's also a version where, like, Odin poops on Satan while he's escaping him, but... <laughs> you know, more insult to injury. However, despite its popularity, Mead ended up declining over a long period of time. It's really hard to pinpoint... What was the exact cause? But I personally think it's a combination of many events.
0: How many events?
1: Uh, I have about five or six, but I'm sure it was more than that. Oh, wow. Yep.
0: Tell me about them.
1: So the first one is in the 11th century. Britain was conquered by the French.
0: And then the French conquered the British alcohol content.
1: Well, yeah, because they uh, brought over wine and hard cider. So... That kind of was forcing Mm. their drinks upon them.
0: And they wanted to be intellectuals, and intellectuals Mm. drink wine.
1: Yep. There was also a combination of taxes on honey and a shortage during the 1300s to the 1600s.
0: What? Why?
1: It's more expensive because the royalty wanted money, so they thought that putting taxes on it would give them more money.
0: Mm. Lame.
1: Also, there was a There was the development of refined sugar. So because of that, honey is no longer being used as much as a sweetener, Mm -hmm. especially as it gets easier and easier to make. And then there's also the development of ales and beers. Uh, Hops popularity exploded in the late 15th century, and it also had the effect of decreasing beer's ability to be contaminated and allowed beer to have a longer shelf life than mead. I don't know why.
0: Oh, that is important.
1: Yeah. I don't know why uh, hops does that. Maybe it has some sort of antimicrobial ability, but that I thought that was a pretty cool little factoid. Also, yeah. also the ingredients were cheaper. Even monasteries, which made mead a lot of the time, were switching over to beer making. Finally, we have the development of hard liquors and distillings. This started in Asia around the ninth century and slowly spread worldwide.
0: It mm, gives you a lot more variety,
1: too. Yeah, you're getting whiskey, you know,
0: vodka. rum,
1: yeah. vodka, bourbon. Well, maybe not bourbon exactly then. That might be a little bit later, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. However, mead didn't die. Some cultures still readily made it, such as in Central Africa or uh, Poland. Historians were also interested in reenacting or making old recipes uh, most importantly, beekeepers need to be able to do something with the extra honey they had. So, what are you going to do? You're going to make alcohol. But not to worry, mead has reemerged and it's becoming more and more popular,
0: especially in our household.
1: Yep, <laughs> if I keep if I keep buying more and more honey, I'm going to be making more and more mead. <laughs> it's possibly due to a book in the '60s called The Complete Joy of Homebrewing, which included a section for mead.
0: Just the one section.
1: Yeah. But that's all I could find on that. Mm. And wh- one reference said it's because of this book that it really started coming back.
0: I mean, it does seem like meat is one of the easier home brews to make.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I really get proficient at it, who knows? I might go up and start making some beer as well.
0: Ooh, fancy.
1: Yeah. It's it's particularly more uh, laborious because you need to make a mash as well. Right. All the stouts that we'll be making.
0: So you want to hear about some drunk bees?
1: Yeah, I want to hear some drunk bee stuff.
0: All right, let's get buzzed.
1: (laughs) I like that pun.
0: And talk about drunk bees. So my first story of this brings us to Australia's Parliament House in Canberra. And here's a cool fact. The story comes from the head beekeeper of the Australian government. That's right. The Australian government has a head beekeeper. What? That's
1: pretty. That's pretty cool to find out. I don't think we have one.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. America should have one. Listeners, who do you think would be a good U.S. head beekeeper? Let us know. So, the Australian government's head beekeeper at the time of this story was Cormac Farrell. Back in October 2019, the Aussies were noticing these bees that were stumbling around and slurring their buzzes. <laughs> they looked like they were drunk. But it's not all fun and games. Some of these bees actually got alcohol poisoning and ended up dead or falling from the sky. What? Naturally, this was a mystery that only the head beekeeper could figure out. Cormac Farrell discovered that the heat was so intense that the flower nectar actually began to ferment, producing alcohol. So when our little honey foragers showed up to do what they do, best, they got intoxicated. They unexpectedly started imbibing in some day drinking. And just like us, bees that fly drunk can have accidents, can die from alcohol poisoning, and become disoriented, unable to find their way back to their home. What's even more interesting is they found that beehives have a strict no drinking policy. Really? Yeah. If you show up drunk on nectar, the bee guards will turn you away until you sober up. You want to hear something even worse? Lay it on me. Some even reported that drunk bees would be attacked by other sober bees, sometimes even chewing off the bee's leg.
1: That sounds horrifying.
0: Yeah, like, oh my God, chill out bees. Gosh, it's so sad. It's like they meant, it's not like they meant to get drunk, but I guess what's good for the hive is not always good for the individual.
1: I suppose so.
0: Farrell said in one of his tweets, and I quote, the drunk bees are kept out of the hive to stop the honey from fermenting inside, which could hurt the whole colony. However, once the honey is finished, you can use it to make some wonderful alcohol, which is what we do here at the Australian Parliament, said Farrell. What?
1: The pollen makes alcohol?
0: Yeah, they actually have five resident beehives at the Parliament, and they produce both alcohol And honey vodka.
1: Wow,
0: I kind of hate vodka, but I'd love to try honey vodka.
1: It's worth a shot, right?
0: Seems like it would be better. Everything's better with honey. It sure is. So fermentation is fundamentally really easy, and the ingredients are found everywhere. All you really need, as we've said throughout this episode, is some heat, some time, some water, a bit of sugar, and of course, yeast. Which is why we can talk about it on the show, because yeast is a microbe. And yeasts are everywhere, and all these ingredients are actually found in a plant. Despite this, instances of drunk bees are not that widespread. According to Perth Honey Company, they noted that lemon-scented gums, like common bottle brush, are some of the native Australian plants that seem to become microbreweries in the summer. They noted that although all the ingredients are there to produce natural fermentation, the concentrations are all wrong. The high sugar concentration of nectar is too much for many yeast, and they cannot multiply and produce alcohol under such high concentrations of sugar. This is where water comes in, such as rain or humidity. When this is high enough in the environment, it will dilute the nectar, allowing the wild yeast to flourish. And when I was reading this, I was often thinking, I wonder how climate change might change how often we see drunk bees.
1: Oh my God. Will it increase? Will we have a bunch of micro fermentation plants going on?
0: I don't know, but I mean, the bees are already in a lot of trouble. So I kind of hope not. Yeah. Got to save the bees. Well, my micro friends, that's the end of our show. Thank you so, so much for listening. And I hope this podcast brings you a little joy and a little knowledge.
1: If you did enjoy today's show, please consider following us or subscribing on your favorite podcast app.
0: What was your favorite meat fact? Did we forget one? You can tell us by writing in uh, to gals at gmail.com. That's M-I-C-R-O-B-I-G-A-L-S at gmail.com. Or you can send us a message on Twitter, Reddit, or Facebook at gals We hope you enjoyed listening and we hope you buzz off until next week.
1: Now nah, we just hope you be yourself and be beautiful with your millions of microbe friends. Be
0: beautiful.
1: Bye, Bye. everybody.